Welcome to Altona, a small prairie town just south of Winnipeg and home to about 4,000 people. Now my major in university was history and art history was one of my favorite classes. I always liked the idea that what we create is a reflection of our society. My favorite textbook, Fleming's Art and Ideas by Mary Warner Marion and William Fleming, talks about art as this expression of our culture, our ideas, our values, and understanding the culture it was made in is just as important as understanding the image. I want to put this next door into perspective, as the history of art is important to understanding my podcast as a whole. It's a long history. Art is one of our first forms of communication and is argued to be the starting point of who we are today. The earliest form of art was found in Lascaux, France. The Hall of Bulls was painted roughly between 15,000 and 10,000 BCE. The painting is in a cave, and it depicts a herd of animals in very simple line drawings. Historians don't know if these images were used for religion, art, communications, or all three. Either way, we have been communicating through images ever since. This is a story about ideas. And um, so I thought rather than, you know, paint a version of Van Gogh's sunflowers on the side of a building, it could be something a little bit different. That's Cameron Cross. He's the artist and creator of the sunflower statue in Altona. I'm meeting him at the statue, and on the phone he told me he was heading to town to work on it. I'm not sure what I was expecting. Cameron standing on scaffolding painting, me standing next to him pointing a mic in his face, asking him questions. As I approached the site, though, I realized I was very, very wrong. For one, the easel is huge, like way larger than I was expecting. It stands well over most buildings in town. The painting is resting on the grass, and it's at least the size of a volleyball court. There are tools everywhere and a large crane. I have to admit I was nervous about this interview. The first thing Cameron said to me on the phone was, you know my piece is nothing like your other statues, and this totally threw me off. But as I got to know Cameron better, he challenged me. Not in a rude way, but in a way a teacher challenges his students. After all, he used to teach in Altona over 20 years ago. To me, he enjoys conversations, intellectual debates, and ideas that stem far past the surface. Cameron is a thinker, and that made me nervous. It also excited me. I'm Megan Kirtenson, and you're listening to Manitoba Landmarks. Now, the Sunflower in Altona is part of the Van Gogh Project, a project Cameron started when he was working in Altona. This idea then changed and grew into an international project. Cameron's goal is to paint Van Gogh's sunflowers in seven different countries. And to be honest, back then I didn't, I didn't know much about um, Van Gogh and, and his sunflower paintings, probably as much as any other, you know, aspiring artist. According to the Van Gogh Museum, Van Gogh painted his sunflower series in France between 1888 and 1889. Now that's over 125 years ago. The museum recently released a 360 tour of the paintings, uh, which is super cool and the first time they've ever really been seen together. For more information, you can check out vangomuseum.nl. Then I uh, realized shortly after that Van Gogh did not only paint uh, one sunflower painting, but he painted seven. So I approached the city in Australia, that was the sunflower capital of Australia, and, and they said yes. And then Kansas is also is the Kansas in the U.S. is the sunflower uh, state, and the city in Goodland is the sunflower capital of the sunflower state. So yeah. th bye, take care. Did you hear that? This happened a few times during our interview. People stopping by to check on Cameron, see how the work was going, and ask him about his day. Cameron knows them and greets them as they walk by. To me, this shows a sense of community and pride that surrounds the painting. The sunflower painting usually sits on top of a giant black metal easel, which is 25 meters high. It's tucked just off the highway and sits well above the tree line. There's a nice walking path behind it that winds along the road. Um, not only Van Gogh, but the, just the, uh, the idea of the sunflowers 
um, being agricultural and also a very symbolic flower, right. symbolic uh, of hope and life and people, you know, they like the, the look of the sunflowers and, and obviously for agricultural reasons through through the seed and through oil, it's very life-sustaining, um, but it's also a, a, a strong symbol. So the idea is to continue the project, but to um, find areas in the world that have a relationship to, relationship to the sunflower or to Van Gogh himself. Um, not until I started teaching in Altona all those years ago that um, I just really started appreciating the sunflowers and the sunflower field and, the, and how the people here really accepted the sunflower and, and you know, um, created a festival. So that made me think about Van Gogh, and um, yeah, I know a lot about Van Gogh now, and I know a lot about his struggles and his mental health issues and his loneliness and, you know, his, his need for acceptance and um, just him as a person and how much he struggled. And um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a stereotype now, you know, the starving artist and not selling any work in his lifetime, and now he's selling, now his paintings are selling for hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, Vincent van Gogh was a Dutch post-impressionist painter. Post-impressionism was this experimental form of art that kind of went against the stuffy academic realism that was going on. It was more emotional and had more movement in its brushstrokes. To me, you can see this in van Gogh's sky and the texture he uses to create movement in his pieces. Most people know of Starry Night, which he painted in a mental asylum close to the end of his life. I found this great quote in van Gogh's letters where he writes to his sister about the night sky. Van Gogh says, I definitely want to paint a starry sky now. It often seems to me that the night is even more richly colored than the day, colored in the most intense violets, blues, and greens. At the bottom of the canvas is a small village. In the foreground is what I'm assuming is a tree or brown structure. The town sits in a valley with rolling hills behind it. The sky is a pattern of large brushstrokes of blues, greens, and yellows that swerve and curl around the stars and the moon. Now, according to the Van Gogh Museum, though most Modern people have heard of Van Gogh. In his time, he was quite poor and unknown. Van Gogh also struggled with mental illness and is known for cutting off his ear. He spent his life in and out of hospitals. How could a man who has loved light and flowers so much and has rendered them so well, how could he have managed to be so unhappy? That's what Monet said about Van Gogh. In the same letter to his sister, Van Gogh explains his need to paint nature as a way to bring good cheer, happiness, hope, and love to the world. The uglier, older, meaner, iller, poorer I get, the more I wish to take my revenge by doing brilliant color, well-arranged, resplendent. I think this is so sad. Van Gogh ended up killing himself at the age of 37, and it wasn't until well after his death that his work was even discovered. But there was a real person that one time, right. and a real, you know, a real sensitive, honest soul who tried to exist on this planet and um, was just very passionate about art and um, about being accepted and uh, yeah so it's a very human story and I think everybody if they read his story or read his letters could relate very much so about being an outcast and about not being accepted and you know not really finding true love and um, yeah it's very tragic in many ways very beautiful in many ways so um, but you know his images are everywhere and his works are in the greatest galleries in the world but um, I think it, you know, he's kind of a stereotype in art history, but I think, you know, you just have to revisit his story and realize that it was a very special person. Now, there's this really cool new movie out about Van Gogh called Loving Vincent, which is a fully animated movie that used over 65,000 paintings. Now, 100 painters worked on this project, and it took six years to create. 
The movie follows Armin Rulin, and he's delivering a letter to Vincent's brother, Theo. Along the way, he tries to figure out what really happened to Vincent. It truly is an amazing film experience that brings his art to life, and if you're an art buff or really enjoy this podcast, then I recommend watching it. In art and creativity and ideas, you know, often uh, people think they always come from one idea or one, or sorry, one person, but it's often a group discussion. It's also, um, and ideas grow just like a plant can grow, and um, I think really good ideas do blossom and they, and they foster themselves into other, other things. I love this idea of community art, that alone we can create greatness, but together we can become so much more than that. Cameron's own idea has changed and grown in the past 20 years. Cameron has already painted three sunflowers and now is looking towards Japan. The Japanese are, are huge, well they're sunflower producers, but they're also huge admirers of Van Gogh. And, um, Two of the sunflower paintings uh, ended up in Japan, oh, okay. the original ones. And I said that there were seven original paintings, but there's only six now because one was destroyed in Yokohama during the war. Yeah, in a, in a raid, uh, in a bombing raid. So, um, and then one existing sunflower painting now is uh, was bought by a, a insurance company in Japan. The original piece was destroyed in the bombing of Japan in 1945. And they recently, just within the last five or six years, they found a color version of it. Yeah, because it, uh, was, it was bombed during World War II. The museum was destroyed. The most tragic thing it's really, really sad, yeah. So in my little mind, I would think that maybe they want it back on a big scale. But, but I've been to Japan a few times, so I, I understand that they have a, a real appreciation for Van Gogh. Because when Van Gogh was alive, he had an appreciation for uh, Japanese woodcuts, so they loved the fact that he was inspired by Japanese work. Martin Bailey, who wrote a book on Van Gogh called The Sunflowers Are Mine, talks about the lost painting. It was the first time in almost 90 years that people have been able to see what the last piece of art looked like. In Bailey's book, he talks about how the sunflowers were this cry of anguish, that they symbolized the struggling artist's gratitude. And as Van Gogh sunk deeper into his inner pain, he clung to this natural beauty of the world. Remember when I told you that Cameron said his piece was different than the other statues featured on my podcast? Here's why. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, think, it, I think there's a lot of similarities, and I think there's some differences. I think, um, I think many big sculptures in small towns are created to attract people to come into their towns, and they'll pick a central theme and make an enormous version of something that an artist came, you know, an artist's idea. I think maybe, maybe, um, so in that, in that sense, this is similar, but I think maybe there's some differences because um, I'm just really interested in the idea of appropriation. So this was Van Gogh's image, but it's also my image now because I painted it. Right. You know, Van Gogh didn't paint this, I painted it. So it's, even though it's sort of a replica, it's also um, a version of the, rep, of the original, right? So it's not only larger, but, you know, the paint is different. And so it's just, it's just the idea of taking something from art history, recreating, making it your own. And there's just a lot of questions that is it still the original person's or is it now the new artist? And, you know, um, there's just a lot of sort of intellectual questions that can be raised from that. Am I stealing the idea or am I boring it or am I making it my own? So I think that's maybe somewhat different. He also sees the Isla as its own piece of art. 
And, um, and also the idea of the easel, I think um, I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. Normally an easel is kind of like the artist's workbench, right? You put a work of art on a structure and then you take the work of art off the structure. But in this case, because it's uh, the easel is such a large structure itself, it, it's a work of art itself. So the easel is the work of art and the painting on the easel is the work of art. It's not just a mechanism to hold a work of art. The whole thing is a work of art. The whole thing is a sculpture. So maybe, I don't know, maybe those in, those, in that sense it, it might be different than other, in other sculptures but right. in small towns. But um, yeah, but I think, you know, I think context is everything and perhaps people think that just because a sculpture is in a larger city it has greater importance, unfortunate, but it's just the way, um, it's just a lens that, 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 that people look at um, small town versus city, right? Cameron wants to build on the Van Gogh project and focus on the steel easels. I'm working very um, strongly now on the idea of putting up these steel easels in different cities around the world. And instead of me doing the painting, other artists can do uh, a work of art on the, on the easel. So the same easel um, and uh, different artists' work. So working, you know, could be graffiti art or indigenous-based art. Working with that community to find the best thing that represents them? Yes, or? you know, working with them so that they can make that decision. He wants to make people feel like they are connected to something bigger. But I, I also like the idea of, you know, a person standing in front of a sculpture like the easel, and it's just you and the sculpture, but in the back of your mind you know that there's other, there, are, there are other easels in the world. So that just sort of brings something different to the viewing experience, I think. To Cameron, the easel is a powerful symbol that can be understood across cultures, languages, and time. He tells me that what he likes about creating art is that artists sometimes become generators of many different people coming together. Cameron means that though he comes up with the ideas of the statues, he needs to work with engineers, carpenters, steelworkers, and many other professions to make his art become alive. Ideas, you know, an idea is not so important on its own, but you know, when teamed together with other people, then you can you know, make that idea into something that's uh, tangible. Cameron challenged me with the questions he asked and really made me think about the nature of my project as a whole. Here's how he did that. This, this sculptures in the small town, you know, it's, um, they, often, they often get stereotyped and I think it's just, as many things in life, it's, it's just people kind of want the easy answer and they don't want to think too hard. So I think, um, I, I, I just don't think it's good or fair or right to put a hierarchy in art anymore. Is it art? Are giant statues art? Do we need to understand the stories behind the statues or just observe them as freestanding objects? Is this a tacky roadside America or something larger? Um, a piece of good art is a piece of good art, no matter where it is. Right. You know, I, I think people often still ask the question, is it art? But I think that's, in 2017, I don't think that question should be asked anymore. It's right. just, you know, is it a, a good piece of art, regardless of where it is? Did it make you stop and look at it? Did you, right? Yeah. Time? Did you reflect on it? Did you have a relationship with it? Did you think about it? Did you think about it later? Yeah. Did it make you think about other things? I want to leave you guys with this challenge. And how would you challenge people then to change their view or help, like, get them thinking differently? Just to, that's a good question. Just to come and experience the work of art, and if they wanted to read something about it, they could read something about it, and if they just want to take some time and uh, appreciate it, and everybody will bring something different to the 
to the viewing experience. Some people are very educated in art, some people have no idea about art, some people have seen a lot of art, some people have seen very little art. But I think public art is, um, you know, public art meaning art that's out in the public, it's, um, it's a very democratic form of art, right? So you don't have to buy a ticket to go see it. You don't have to stand in line, you don't have to know someone to get in, it's right. just there. So if you had two people in front of a sculpture outside, one person could be worth $10 million and the right. other person could be homeless and they both get the same experience. So that's the, that's the amazing thing about public art. What has been your experience with public art, with giant statues? Has listening to this podcast changed the way you view them? And you'll know that if you travel the world, um, like I have, I've been fortunate, and if you go into um, cities that have a lot of respect for themselves and that are on the rise. Um, I think it's more than just seeing new museums and bridges and condos going up, but if you see really amazing works of public art, then they have a lot of, the city speaks that it has a lot of confidence and they have a lot of creativity yeah. and you know, it's part of that. It's part of the um, urban landscape, you know, and I think that if cities ignore it, then it's, it's obvious. If you want to learn more about Cameron and his upcoming projects, or learn more about the Van Gogh project, then head to his website at CameronAcross.com. He has tons of pictures and cool videos that I recommend checking out. And it's not just about, you know, a traditional history, but contemporary thinkers mm. thinking about history or the future or, you know, because contemporary art looks very different than traditional art. Yes. And it's slowly being more accepted. Right. And, um, yeah. Thanks for listening to Manitoba Landmarks. If you liked today's episode and want to learn more, then head to manitobalandmarks.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Manitoba Landmarks. Here I post pictures, maps, and other fun visuals of these not-so-hidden gems. I'd love to hear from you. Do you have an interesting story about one of the places featured here? Or have one that should be on our list? Then send me a message on social media or email manitobalandmarks at gmail.com. Music for the show is by Manny Gosen. There are links to his Spotify page on the show website. Until next time, keep exploring. Yeah.